Where Murder Meets Mystery contains graphic and explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, cool friends. Let's take a walk down the street where murder meets mystery, a podcast exploring the murderous, the mysterious, and everything that lies beyond the beyond. I'm your mysterious macaroni mauler, Trevor. <laughs> and I'm absolutely <laughs> floored. What was that? <laughs> it's called it's called a trap to get you to mess up the intro. What's up, ghoul friends? She was speechless after the mysterious macaroni mauler comment. I what? Where did you even? Where does he get this shit? It's called alliteration, now? Grace. Um, look it up. All right. And I'm Grace. <laughs> Whoa, she's going to cut all that out? No. No, I won't. I won't cut out my reaction to Time mysterious, macaroni, <laughs> mysterious <laughs> macaroni mauler. That's that's one for the books, man. That's yeah, that wasn't submitted or anything. That's just uh, high, uh, mystery, mystery master Trev just sounds sounds like a thing. So uh, I don't know. I'm playing with it. It's it's workshopping. We'll workshop it. We should workshop that one a little more. I think it needs some more time in the in the cooker. Macaroni in a pot. We don't have to sing the rest. Okay, now. <laughs> okay, <laughs> cool friends. We're uh, back in butter than ever. We're so glad to be here. Listen, we're sorry for the delay with this uh, episode. We've yeah, sorry, ghoul friends. Scheduling conflicts because did Trevor you say butter? I- I said we're back in butter better. I did say butter. I'm not sure why. It just came out like that, and I just kind of went with it. I like it. Keep it in. (laughs) (laughs) Keep in the butter. Always. That's my answer. Add more. One Uh, stick, two stick, three stick, blue stick. Bloop. Bloop. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, we had a lot of scheduling conflicts because... Trevor and I are the busiest humans on the face of the earth. Can you imagine how celebrities do podcasts? Like they're, they're actually the busiest people and they have time for podcasts. How do they do that? I don't know. I, maybe they have personal assistants, which we don't have. And how do people date? And then I, I'm hiring an assistant this year. It's about damn time. (laughs) They should, they should help us schedule the podcast. Seriously, for fuck's Uh, sake. Schedule your life. Yes, I need someone to schedule my life. I can't. I've always wait. thought that I should. Hiring someone who speaks Chinese, which is very exciting. Yeah, the bilingual thing will definitely help you out. It'll save my life, actually. It anyway. should. Yeah. <laughs> Fascinating. <laughs> teacher, teacher, teacher. Teacher, teacher. That's what my students call me, um, because in Chinese, all of my students are Chinese, and. In Chinese, in the language, Chinese in Mandarin, you address teachers by the word Lao Shi, which is teacher, and then their last name. And so they just call me teacher, which is really cute. And I wish that kids in America did that as well, because it's I think it's adorable. Okay, but, I, can, I can grant that request. Um, teacher, would well, you please, please tell us about I'd rather part you two? not call me teacher. <laughs> That's weird. I don't like that. Teacher, Listen, teacher. Well, friends, 
I mentioned last week that we've got a two-parter, and boy, do we ever. I'm back with part two about Ariel Castro. And for those of you who are, I'm going to do a few kind of fill in the blanks and like reminders of last week, because I know that not everyone has heard that episode. But if you have not, I recommend actually that you stop what you're doing and listen to that episode before you listen to this one, because you are going to be a little lost. I'm not going to be able to cover everything. Yeah, and come on. I mean, it's in the description. If you start with part two, what are you doing? If you start with part two first, I mean, you know what? That's fine. Uh, Number one. Number one typically is first. first, If you start with part two first, your parents never loved you. Okay, anyway. Yeah, or you didn't learn numbers. And if that's the case, then let me educate you. Number one is first. Number two is second. And if you don't know what first or second means, then... (laughs) I don't know how to teach you numbers at this point. Trevor's so excited to mansplain numbers for you guys. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. But also, right. I am super excited because I mean, part one was such a bombshell with Ariel Castro that I'm I'm yeah. ready just to like find out the rest of it. Like I've been waiting, and for us yeah. to have to delay a week, it's kind of like the worst for me because I'm yes. like, and I super made Trevor promise it. that he wouldn't Google it. I didn't. And he didn't. I'm sure he. I'm sure that's true. <laughs> so I mentioned <laughs> fake, I mentioned fake, guilty week. face. Me? Who? Me? Uh, <laughs> no. But no, I didn't Google it. For the record, is that my book on your armrest? <laughs> yep. I have lent Trevor a book two, three months ago. I'm on page sixteen. <laughs> It's okay. My, um, I make friends with people specifically for that trait of not reading the books that I lend them. Marissa oh. still has my copy of The Silent Patient from like a year and a half ago. <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense. It makes sense. You just offload all your extra books on people and expect them to read them and they don't. All right. <laughs> I'm, ready. I'm ready to go. So we talked last week about human shit stain Ariel Castro and how he abducted three young women, girls in yeah, fuck that guy. Cleveland in the early 2000s. One of those women, a woman named Michelle Knight, was actually a single mother. She was in the process of trying to get her son back. And she was abducted by Ariel from a family dollar. Then the second woman, Amanda was a woman that was, uh, I keep saying women, they're women now, but they were girls when they were kidnapped. Amanda yeah, was, what were their ages again? Because they were yeah. around his daughter's age, but. Yeah, they were all high school age. Michelle was perhaps a little bit older. Okay, so Michelle was abducted on August 23rd, 2002. Mm-hmm. And I'm not confident. I believe it was after high, after she finished high school. Okay. I'm pretty sure she had already graduated. If not, she was in like the late years of high school. Yeah. Amanda Berry was the second woman, uh, second girl to be abducted. And she was only 16, actually the day before her 17th birthday on April 21st, 2003, when she was abducted on her way home from work. And then the third woman, Gina De Jesus, was only 15. Third woman, again, girl, only 15. Um, I believe 15 or 14, even very, very young, 14. Right. But you regard, you talk about them and, you know, as I women do. now, because they all were kept for what 
12 years at least in yeah, captivity. So Michelle was held hostage for 12 years and then Amanda and Gina were abducted, I think eight months apart, something like that. It was a little under a year and they had, yeah, a little under a year. So Amanda Berry, when, when Gina was abducted, Amanda Berry had been held hostage for 347 days and Michelle Knight had been captive for 600 days when Gina De Jesus was abducted walking on her way home from school. We walking okay. with Ariel Castro's daughter actually. Yeah. Um that's the like I mentioned that's the thing they all had kind of had in common was that they all knew his daughter and he actually kind of used that as a ruse. As far as I know the daughter was not involved other than their, other than like her mutual association with these girls but Anyway, yeah, so. and from part one, that was like how he got them to like come to his house or right. said that she needed help or right. just used her as the ruse. But then also, I think you, you might have hinted at or you covered in part one that uh, his daughter had come to the house while the girls were staying there. Yes. Yes. Or and not I'll, staying I'll... there. I'm sorry. Imprisoned. Uh, yes. yes. Yeah. So they're not. I will. It's not just a, it's not <laughs> a hotel stay. I know what you meant. I know you. I know what you meant. <laughs> Um, so I mentioned last week that besides blatant physical abuse, and I talked a little bit about, I talked more about that in uh, part one, but he would also test their resilience with a number of psychological tests and psychological torture. So he would intentionally leave doors unlocked or cracked to see if they would attempt to leave and then punish them if they did. There were mirrors all around the house at the end of every hallway so he could watch their every move, even around corners. So what he would often do is leave the room because they were, for the most part, the door was bolted, the front door and the back door. So they weren't, they were also by, at this point, they had been held captive for so long that they're not going to attempt to escape because they're so terrified of this man, right? Because of these psychological tests. It's like... One of them in an interview with ABC even said, like, even if I had not been restrained, I would not have left because I was so mentally held captive by this man as well as physically. So he was known to leave their room with the door unlocked and then walk around the corner and watch to see if they left. And then if they did, he would beat them or punish them in some other way, often by withholding food was one of his punishments. Right. And me and Scarlett were talking about something about how um, how difficult that must have been psychologically. But, you know, also we have a, a, a th- three women who were also sort of small in stature, mm-hmm. as well as he was he was controlling their like the rationing of food. Yeah. Um, he was controlling whether ate, whether they ate, drank, just all, all the aspects of their life. So, you know, if they even started to get even a little bit strong, he can control that. So you, you've yeah. got people who are malnourished, um, people who are smaller in stature, and right. that just doesn't, it's its not a good recipe for being able to fight someone. No, yeah. And, and so that's why I think one of the things that angers me most as far as post-rescue is the comments that I see in like the people are like, why didn't you run? Why didn't you scream? Why didn't you knock on the window? Because all the bedrooms had windows. Why didn't you whatever? Why didn't you da-da-da? And I'm like, how? That is like not only victim blaming, that's horrifying. Like, why would you even imagine? Because you can't imagine. You cannot possibly imagine what these women went through. 
And for anyone to have the audacity to question their decision-making in that process, like, God, it's just fucked. Anyway, okay. I'm already getting fired up. I'm not even like two bullet points in. Well, and I mean, you know, maybe that's how it was for the first like two weeks or the first month. Right. But these 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 women spent like a decade in captivity. Yes. After Over a year, a you know, after two months, after three months, when your spirit's broken, you're probably not going to want to do much. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll mention I, I mentioned like when. Um, Arlene Castro, Ariel's daughter, was over in the house. I'll mention this again here. But in August of 2005, one of Castro's daughters, I believe it was Arlene, actually came to stay with him in the house. So he actually removed the girls from the house and put them in disguises, like wigs and sunglasses, and chained them up in a van outside the house. Oh, wow. So this was... Amanda says this was the moment that the three of them really like realized that they were in the same boat because I mentioned last week that he had pitted them against each other. Right. And kept them separate or when they did see each other, it was like psychological. Right. So contributing to that, it contributes to that de-individuation. I think I said that right. Of like stripping someone of their identity and not allowing them to form social connections. Like that's the deep, the one of the most dehumanizing aspects of what he did to these women is by like giving them no sense of solidarity, no sense of union with each other, even though they were going through the same terrifying experience. And even to this day, they've all made the decision to kind of break contact with each other. You would think that they would, you know, stay together and and commiserate maybe or, uh, but you know, they all went through kind of the same thing, but right. yeah, like you said, he broke those bonds down yes. in every chance he took yes. in order to make sure that they didn't gang up on him all at once. Correct. Correct. And this time, um, this time when they're locked in the van, this was when the first time that they had talked to each other. And this was in 2005. So this was one of them. Let's see. Michelle was abducted. I'm double checking. Michelle was abducted in 2002. So Michelle had been there for three years, three years. Amanda had been there for four years and Gina had been there for no, what? no, she's, she's the one that has been there the longest is Michelle. Yes. Michelle has been there for three years. And so the other two girls Amanda had been there two, for like and two and one. Yeah. Yeah. And they hadn't spoken to each other until this point. Jeez. So I mentioned that when Arlene came over, Uh, she came over semi-frequently and he would chain them up in the basement and he wouldn't even gag them. He would just leave them there. Like basically like, I dare you to make a sound. It's just so like, and Amanda says that something she gets all the time is like, why didn't you scream? You could have screamed one or made one sound, knock something over and it would have potentially all ended. Potentially, yes, but like you're putting your faith in his daughter. Like, what's that in the basement? Oh, like there's there's so many things that have to come to come to pass that Arlene would be the savior of those girls. Because what's what's to say that he doesn't cut his losses, even though it's his daughter, and just chain her up too? They're probably scared for her safety, their safety. It's so it's so much more complicated. You can't blame them for correct for doing what they did. Exactly. Um, in 2006, this, the girls have been collectively captive for 1,250 days. 
A heartbreaking aspect of this case, I think one of the saddest actually, is that Amanda Berry's mother, who I mentioned last week, spent was tirelessly looking for her um, for the entire, I guess that was three years then that she had been missing and had never stopped looking for her. And her mother actually died. And they say oh, no. that her mother died of a broken heart because she had been looking for her daughter and had never given up. And Amanda found out that her mother had died on the news. She saw it on the oh, news. No. And so well, and she never got to her see goodbye it. to her mother. And she said that's that's one of the many things that she will never forgive him for. Yeah, no, that's that's terrible. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. On Amanda's 20th birthday, she discovered she was pregnant. And Ariel Castro had aborted many of Michelle Knight's pregnancies, but actually allowed Amanda to keep her child. She went into labor on Christmas Day, 2006. Castro orders Michelle to deliver the baby and tells her if the baby dies, he's going to kill Michelle. All right. Amanda named the baby Jocelyn and said that as the baby grew up, Castro was shockingly kind to the child. And when Jocelyn was about two, he began taking her to the park. So he actually would take the child out of the house and like allow her free, like free roam and whatever. And when she got old enough to start asking questions, he took Amanda's chains off and like allowed her to move freely about the house. Oh, wow. To raise the child. This is so crazy. It's so insane. And he would, so Jocelyn actually, you know, like he wouldn't allow Jocelyn to go to school. And Amanda was adamant that was like, I will give my daughter a normal life. She's 20 at this point or 22 now. So when Jocelyn reached kindergarten age, Amanda grew determined to give her daughter a normal education and actually started kind of um, persuading Ariel Castro to buy her supplies and actually right. turned the, her little bedroom into a kindergarten classroom. So she, the bedroom resembles a classroom for Jocelyn, including decorations, workbooks, a desk, and stuffed animals. It's really sweet. Like she just, you know, she did her best to make this girl's upbringing as normal as possible. Yeah, no, that's, that's a mother's love. And yeah. uh, it's also super, just super strange how Ariel just doesn't, he just, it's like he can't treat his kids bad, but he can treat anyone else horribly. Yeah. Yeah. 10 years after Amanda disappeared, a tip is called in by a prison inmate saying that Amanda's remains were buried in West Cleveland. So someone calls in and says, okay, it ended up being obviously a false. Right. It's obviously false. But But it's so fucked up because police spend 10 hours digging at the site less than three blocks from where Amanda, Michelle, and Gina are being held. Oh, no. That's insane. 10 hours they are there digging, thinking that she's dead. And at that point, she's been missing for so long, they have no choice, no choice but to treat any tip as legitimate. Because right. by then, you know, it's like the, the chances are less and less that you're going to get a false tip. Correct. Because after when that much time has passed. It's May 16th, 2013 now, and the women have been held prisoner for 4,124 days. Jocelyn ends up being kind of the hero in this case. She is six years old. She runs downstairs and then back upstairs. And she says, mommy, daddy's car is gone. And Amanda says that never happened. Like he would leave occasionally because I mentioned he was a school bus driver. 
Right. But his car was always in the driveway and he the car was almost never gone. So this meant that he was he had gone somewhere other than work, like probably farther away because he right. wouldn't drive. He would like go on foot or take the bus. So his car was gone. And so she goes and tells Amanda and Amanda realizes that if she ever is going to have an opportunity, this is it. Right. So Amanda discovers that her door for the first time in 10 years was unlocked and unlatched. Oh. So she sneaks down the stairs. She realizes she hasn't even been near the front door in 10 years. Yeah. Like the, like the main door. She realizes that the door is padlocked. This guy named Charles Ramsey, who's Ariel Castro's next door neighbor, is sitting on his front porch and he hears this like banging sound. He said it sounds like construction on the yeah. front door of Ariel's house. He walks over and sees a woman's arm sticking out and waving from the bottom panel of the door. Oh, wow. And then he can see her clawing at the wood, trying to break out of the house. Yeah. So Charles, he, in his words, kicks the shit out of the door and calls the police. <laughs> Love him. So he lets like, Amanda is he, is out. Is he scared or is he just like trying to get her out? Like, like he's, well, he, he comes up there. It's like, why is there an arm and kicks the he crap out of the door? He didn't question it. He was like, I'm going to get her out. She's obviously yeah. trying to get out. And the door was locked from the outside. Gotcha. So he's like, okay, I'm not, I'm not messing around. So he lets her out, saves her, calls the police while they're waiting for police to have to come. And I can, I can again, send you a recording of the phone call. Cause it's really chilling. But j basically Amanda calls the police and is like, my name is Amanda Berry. I've been missing for 10 years. And the officer who got it on the radio was like, had chills everywhere because everyone yeah. in this neighborhood, in this case is so notorious, right? Because her family was probably the most active in searching for her. Um, and she had been missing for 10 years. Like they couldn't even believe that this was real, right? But they hear yeah, her voice crazy. on the phone. So the entire time, Amanda still did not feel like it was over. She said it was, she was still terrified that Castro would return home to find that she had escaped and somehow talk his way out of it. Police are dispatched to the house after 5 p.m. They arrive to find Amanda standing in the street holding Jocelyn, and they are chilled by what she says. She says, my name is Amanda Berry. I've been missing for 10 years. There are two other girls in the house. Please help them. Yeah, good, good on her. They break into the house. They rush in. Michelle remembers not being certain who was coming up the stairs until she saw a badge because she wasn't sure if it was him or if some, she just heard loud men, like men's voices. She didn't know what was going to happen. Right. Right. And then she sees the badge and she said she ran. And then, remember, Michelle is uh, four, nine, I think. So she's super, super petite. Right. Super short. She yeah. Runs and jumps into the arms of the officer who was crying, telling this story saying, I thought it was a child. And Michelle was 26. Yeah. And he thought, he thought it was a child. That's insane. And That's so crazy. She's like, I've been here for 12 years. Gina was more skeptical that the police were real and still wasn't convinced that this wasn't oh, wow. trick or something. Yeah. So finally, like an elaborate, just another right? psychological test. Right. Oh my gosh. So she still's not convinced. So she's kind of like, she cracks her door and it's got the chain latch on it. And they see her face in there and they're like, it's okay. And they show them the identification. Finally, she opens the door and one of the officers looks at her, just breaks down crying in complete disbelief that they had found not only Amanda Berry, but Gina De Jesus, who had been missing for the same right. for nine years. 
Yeah, all, all three women. They might not have recognized Michelle because her stuff, yeah. like, no one was looking for her. They didn't but, realize that she had been missing, yeah. Yeah, Gina and Amanda are, like, yeah. it's crazy that they knew them. But also, like, that's a, I guess that's a thing. And, the, and uh, you know, I'm glad that they still had, had an idea of, like, oh, this is a missing person. Yeah. And, like, they're starting to catch on and they're like, this is where they've been this entire time. This is real. And how close to where we had been looking. Right. You know, um, Michelle got out of the house and kissed the ground. And when the ambulance arrived, the girls realized that it was actually happening and that they were free because neither, none of them had been willing to accept it up until this point. When they finally were like leaving, they were just like, this is, this is real. That's Police insane. blocked the entire area surrounding Castro's four bedroom, 1400 square foot house containing only one bathroom, by the way, gross. The house was boarded up and the closet doors were screwed to the windows. The screws were shaved off. So there was no way to get the. Right, right. So the screw head, he must have like broke them off. So yeah, you'd have to have like a special tool to get them out. Right. Police find Ariel Castro at the wheel of his Mazda Miata and they realize it's him. They're actually like stopped at a light next to him because at this point they still, he was missing. Mm -hmm. This officer pulls him over, arrests him and takes him into custody. Michelle was in the worst condition out of all of them. And in fact, she was told that she had had infections gone on for too long and she only had two days to live. Oh, wow. So she makes it all the way out 12 years. And they're like, you've got maybe two days. Michelle did pull through. So this is good. Right. She said that. Okay. So she said that she had, she had a number of infections. Um, Likely. If I had to guess, they were probably from the botched abortions. That's my guess. Right. She had a number of infections, and this was also when she was told she could never have children, which is just so heartbreaking. Yeah. In the house, police find a page of writing on the counter in the kitchen that contains a confession and actually the reason behind everything Ariel had done, saying that he had been abused as a child and was addicted to sex and that he didn't mean to do this. What? People think this was like a self-destruct button, like just like in the event of capture, this is like all of the information they need to know. Yeah. But this is a huge question mark for me because he goes on to deny that really any of the crimes took place. It's, it's so strange. And so I'm still, I'm really unsure, uncertain about this note. Yeah. It's, it's hard to know because like, is he, is he just like, it's kind of, I'm not trying to diagnose him with anything, but it's like, does he just blank out? during most of it but he like wrote the letter in a like version of clarity of like you know i never wanted to be this but these urges take over or i have this split personality or something like that if i had to guess i think he's a narcissist and so he was willing to put the blame on anyone but himself because there's no evidence that he was abused as a child but this is what he claims right because he might be thinking okay if anyone believes this then it obviously like I'm totally it'll it'll get me off right yeah Yeah. so this was one of the most shocking aspects for everybody in this community was of like who committed these atrocities was Ariel Castro because he was he dressed well he drove a school bus for the city everyone in the neighborhood knew him he knew all the families of the missing girls they were friends with his daughter he used to throw firework parties for the neighborhood on fourth of July and barbecues for the whole block. 
He was a bass player in the band and he played by ear and to his bandmates as well as the community appeared very normal. I mentioned some of the suspicious behavior that wasn't at the time suspicious, but then later they were like, well, that's weird. Yeah, it's given like uh, similarities to like John Wayne Gacy, how exactly. he was like a part of the, um, exactly. what was it, the Jaycees or whatever? Yeah. Like active in the community. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, well, it can't be him because he's social and uh, like, you know, yeah, well to do person. Yeah, Ted Bundy running for office. Yeah. Like, you know, like the, that's, I think, the mark of a psychopath is. Yeah. And it's also like, like a big miss misconception mm-hmm. of how you know people have to be monsters on on the outside and inside yeah. in order to be like a killer no like this not, is a not, i not think the more yeah it's one of the key differences between a sociopath and a psychopath to my understanding is that a psychopath has actually a pretty well developed social network and mm-hmm. it's capable of not maintaining long-term relationships, but forming social connections because they have actually, they have existent social skills and they're very charismatic and persuasive. And they have that like Machiavellianism. They have that um, manipulate the manipulative uh, mm-hmm. skill, like mm-hmm. the skill of manipulation to where they'll, they'll get people to like, Oh, they don't, they'll never think of me as this person. And, then, and they're, they're highly intelligent. Right. Right. Um, but they're also, it's often comorbid with narcissistic personality disorder. And I think that if I had to guess the cocktail that Ariel Castro has, it's, I'm guessing he's a psychopath. A sociopath is someone who generally is very low social functioning. And like, these are the people that stand out. They're not the people that you're like, it was him the whole time. It's shocking. You know, like it's, they're like right. kind of creepy and it's a lot harder for them to blend in because they don't fit in. They just don't yeah. fit in. Like they're easily exactly. found. Exactly. So, uh, okay. So Ariel Castro was by all, for all intents and purposes, a, an upstanding member of his community. Right. But behind closed doors, he was viciously abusing his ex-wife, throwing her down the stairs, breaking her ribs, cracking her skull, threatening to kill her. And this was really the first of countless warnings that people ignored because of his membership in the community. On May 8th, 2013, police began their interrogation. They did this interrogation in an unconventional way that I think is interesting. Basically, they took the statements from Amanda, Gina, and Michelle and gave them to Ariel to either confirm or deny. This was when they saw what a psychopath and a narcissist he truly was, as he denied mm. that any of the sexual encounters were rape. No and way. Asserted, yeah. And asserted that he treated the girls well, having the audacity to claim that he rescued them from squalor and gave them no. a better life that they would have not had otherwise. Ah, uh, what a what a crazo. This guy's insane. Honest Sup- to God. Super narcissistic. Like, I, oh no, I can do no wrong. Like, Clearly, they're in the wrong. It, yes. That's not how I remember it. Yes. No. He confirmed his part, the part that he played in the abortions of Michelle's babies, but minimized his involvement by claiming that Michelle and he had decided as a couple to abort the babies. <laughs> no, it's not how this works. You, no you're not. You're not a couple. I mentioned Amanda's journals last week, but these right. were the instrumental. Uh, really the crux in the police's like in their case that they built against Ariel Castro. 
one one detective said some crazy shit. He said that they were actually able to charge Ariel. And I think I, I may have said this last week. I, yeah, I got ahead of myself this. because I wanted to give you <laughs> some no, more it, information. But um, no. they were actually able to charge Ariel Castro with kidnapping every time he moved the girls against their will, it, even inside the house. So whenever Amanda, and she documented meticulously, when she said he moved us from this room to this room, he they, that was a kidnapping charge right so in the end ariel castro was charged with 977 counts of various crimes including two counts of aggravated murder 446 counts of rape and 512 counts of kidnapping dang he accepted a plea deal and on august 1st 2013 ariel castro was sentenced to life in prison plus 1000 years a plea deal yeah now listen to what this asswipe says. That's insane. Trevor. I swear okay. to God. He stands up in court and he says, quote, I am not a violent predator. I'm not a monster. I'm a normal person. These allegations about being forceful with them, that is totally wrong. Because there was times that they would even ask me for sex. Ew. Yeah, I, I believe that about as much as I believe in freaking Santa Claus. Yep. Which is not okay. a lot. Thank for the record, terrifying. wasn't a good antidote. Trevor still yeah. believes in Santa. <laughs> I don't believe that for one second, man. Yeah, fucking piece of shit. Michelle. Michelle, I mentioned last week that Michelle is a fucking queen, and I swear to God, she's the coolest person ever. Michelle, in an act of extreme courage, actually came to court to address Castro directly. She's the only one of the three women who arrived in court. Wow. He said, quote, you took 11 years of my life away, and now I've got it back. I spent 11 years in hell. Now your hell is just beginning. I will overcome all of this that has happened, but you will be in hell for all eternity. From this moment on, I will not let you define me or who I am. Wow. That's so powerful. What powerful language. I've got chills. Yeah. All the officers, attorneys, and spectators in court were and continue to be shocked by Michelle's outstanding bravery. And I agree. This woman is a fucking warrior. They all are. Ariel Castro was in prison for a little over a month when he was found dead in his cell of an apparent suicide. Oh my God. Really? Yep. It's just, it just goes to show you people who prey on people who are weak, who seem to be weaker physically or, or all that stuff. They just, it just goes to show you this guy was literal scum. Like he, he, he's the weakest person to prey on people like that. Yes. And if I could think, if I could think of like probably the worst person that I've researched, he might, he might be up there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've covered a lot of fucked up people and it's, and it's crazy. I think it has to do with them just this sheer amount of time. Yeah. And, and, and the day to day active decision making of i'm going to continue to hold these women in my house like it wasn't like that's that's an automatic like it's it's over it's it's probably not even a cognitive thought the only thing that he thinks about is like how to make sure no one finds them and to Mm -hmm. continue on so like i yeah it's it's definitely got to be extremely evil just because it, it, it it was like 12 13 years in captivity for some of yeah. them and just like the multiple counts of um rape and and aggravated murder and all that stuff like that's it, it it's it takes a certain kind of person 
to, to never and crack. Like You're absolutely right. And then to go so far as to say that they asked for it or that they were cons- it was consensual or that right. it gave them a better life. I mean, like, monster is such an understatement. And I keep saying that word, but it's like, I do- it doesn't feel like enough. It no. doesn't. No, there's there's no words to describe that. I mean, uh, pure evil comes to mind, but yeah. like e- evil in and of itself is so familiar. Um, it's a nuanced point. term. But, right. It, but like- this is... This is just it. Yeah, there's no words. Yeah. Um, What's the thing that the judge says about Ted Bundy? Oh, um, extremely wicked, shockingly evil, and vile. Right, vile. Wicked is a good word. Wicked's a good word. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're going to need a whole, I mean, you're going to need a whole book or dictionary to figure out what he's going to do. Yeah. Or how to describe him, but no, he's, he's terrible. When informed but I'm glad of, that they're they all like lived. Yeah, me too. And I'm going to talk a little bit about their their legacy. It's pretty cool. So when Gina was informed of Ariel's suicide, she says she believes he took the easy way out and that he yep. should have suffered like they did. Amanda says she will never not the easy him. way out, the coward's way out for him. Right, exactly. Um, Amanda says she will never forgive him for anything, especially never getting to see her mom again. Michelle, on the other hand made the choice to forgive Ariel Castro. She says she wanted to break the emotional chain he had on her life. She had to move on. I think that this is just a testament to how everyone copes with trauma in different ways. Right. And they recover from trauma in different ways. And even in this case where they, each of their trauma, each of their traumas is unique, you know, and even though they have a shared experience, they experience it and, have taken away from it different things yeah and i can understand why they wouldn't want to be like in each other's lives if one of them wants to forgive him and then forget and then the other person is like no i i in that aspect of my life i will never forget that yeah and i think they're all three of them are 100 percent equally justified in whatever they decide to do in terms yeah. of forgiveness oh yeah oh, that's yeah. their I'm... that's their prerogative oh yeah in On terms August, of forgiveness that's all up to them. As yeah. long as, as long as the way that they are um, dealing with this trauma or grieving this trauma or grieving this lost time is not hurting anyone else or themselves, then yeah. I mean, I don't right. think there's any wrong way to grieve mm-hmm. or and deal with trauma. And the came out way. of this yeah. as fully functioning members of society and even adding to society, that's insane. Like that is a miracle. A miracle. It is a litmus test of just yeah. how, courageous and how extraordinary these women are yeah um on august 7th 2013 the community of west cleveland actually made the decision to tear down 2207 seymour street and they actually tore down the house michelle came and released balloons at the ceremony as a testament to her suffering oh amanda recalls watching as the testament to her suffering was stripped away by a bulldozer you know, imagine that feeling of like, this is somewhere you spent 10 years of your life. Yeah, I, I can imagine maybe they didn't ever want to see it ever again. Yeah. Um, I don't know how, how each of them felt about it. I mean, Michelle was like, yeah, tear it down. Definitely. I mean, she was there. Um, I mean, talk like, about like, what do they do? I, honestly, I it, this is one of those things where it's like, I wish that it could be 
like recorded or yeah. like um I, I don't know if a statue is appropriate, but just some sort of commemorative um thing yeah. that would not only not focus on Ariel Castro but on the the surviving uh women these extraordinary people I think one of the things that that like turns my stomach about cases but also fr- like fascinates me about true crime is thinking about obviously the impact on the victims but also their families and then even further the community and I think about the impact of this case in particular like I think about the neighbor I think his name is Charles Charles yeah I think about the neighbor Charles right how imagine that feeling of realizing that you've lived next door to this hell that women have been living it's it's got to be a little bit it's got to make you feel a little bit guilty that you just you didn't know yeah like i i just god it's just so like impacts on everyone the community will never be the same after that that is just insane so the three women made the difficult decision to maintain separate lives as time together brings up memories of their years of torture and abuse All three women have since written novels, and I strongly encourage you ghoul friends to check these out. The stories are remarkable. I will link the books in the show notes. When Gina came home, she was adamant about finishing high school. Amanda and Gina graduated high school. I think it's called posthumously. No, that's after they died. Never mind. Okay. Amanda and Gina graduated high school in 2015 and received a standing ovation. It's a very touching clip um, because remember they're around the same age. Right. Godmother threw her a huge party in place of the quinceañera she never got to have. Oh. Jocelyn is now a teenager and has a very close bond with her mother Amanda. Michelle Good. found equine therapy, horse therapy, and was in awe that the horses showed her what no human ever showed her, which was respect and love. She wow. has an adopted dad named Jim, and she has found an incredible group of friends. She also found the love of her life, a man named Miguel, who showed her that life doesn't have to be horrible and she can find better. Michelle actually wow. legally changed her name to Lily, which I think is, it was an interesting choice, but she basically believes that lilies are a sign of hope and she wanted to legally basically cut all ties with her past. Cause she's like, I see, not- I see. L- like Lily, the flower. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then she took the name of Lily. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I can understand uh, honestly, like, the 10 years, 12 years, 13 years, however long it was. I mean, that's, yeah. that is a phase of their life that, yes. yeah, I can understand why Think they want to How much on. you changed from 14 to 24. Oh, immensely. Like I, and, and also like I changed because I had a lot of different things that I went through. They went through the same thing and then, but yet they still had to grow up and change in that same environment just over it you know yeah it's they're they're extraordinary michelle began a charity actually called lily's ray of hope that collects funds for women who have been victims of abuse and domestic violence and the charity is still active today i included a link to the facebook page gina founded a actually this is huge and this is like a nationally renowned foundation but gina founded Cleveland's Family Center for Missing Children and Adults. The center is located right next door to the lot where she was held captive for 10 years. Okay. Yeah, no, that's the that's better than a statue. That's How awesome. How cool is that? That's fantastic. 
It's so cool. It gives me chills. Amanda has actually started working for the local news station doing segments to help police find missing people and aid in um, victims' rights advocacy and working with victims' families in when people are go missing. So it's like they all made this into like their life's work. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And it's they're all actively working to try to uh, keep this from happening again. Like that's yeah. awesome. It's just like God. It like brings tears to my eyes. I can't even tell you. This is this is why I think this is the aspect of of true crime that I don't know that makes it it makes it not so depressing because right. like obviously this is this story could have it, it was horrifying, but it could have been so much worse in terms of how it ended. You know, it's hard to imagine it ending like it's hard to imagine it being worse than it was. But like these women have taken this story and like taken ownership of this and like this is their story and not his. And I love that. Yeah. And a lot of times in true crimes, they they end up with with murder or the victims uh, being killed. And and that is that is the saddest portion of this, because there's like the human spirit and just um women and and just yeah. victims they they have the ability um to be so resilient yeah um and, and not let their trauma or or what they went through define them and i think that even when we cover murders like it's it's sad yeah um in that aspect because it just makes it a whole lot worse for murders to me not to bring it back down but like you know there's no there's no future Right. And that's that's what spar, spars the feeling of like wanting justice for these for these pe- these people, these victims. Yeah. Um, and that's what I think ultimately is what fuels other people as well. Totally. Totally. Wow. Well, that's all I have for you about Ariel yeah. Castro. I mean, great and- part two. I mean, there's so many. I'm so glad that all three of them survived. And yeah. it's such a crazy case, Grace honestly Insane. well done thank you so much well done hope you enjoyed it cool friends that was yeah that was dope the wild ride i'm i'm very proud of this these couple episodes i think that this this is such an important story and i'm glad i was able to cover it yeah and uh cool friends definitely check the links if you're interested in like mm-hmm. looking into the charities and the foundations and uh i definitely want to like uh look into their books even though that i still haven't finished the one that you loaned me <laughs> um yeah, but, Michelle yeah, it, wrote her own book, and then Gina and Amanda co-wrote a book. Awesome. So I'd awesome. be really interested to to read them, and I've heard they all have great reviews. And right, if you're please, interested in just hearing about like strong people or, or resiliency, yes. I definitely would give it a shot. Please consider making contributions, um, what how whatever amount to any of these charities, because I think that that's. They're doing amazing things and any missing person foundation, I think would. Right. Um, and then, uh, honestly, I, I'm going to tell a ton of people about this cause it's like super crazy, but also the fact that they're, you know, still alive and, and doing this good work. It's that word of mouth is also great too. So. Great yeah. Yeah. Well, Trevor, I think yeah. I've taken enough airtime. I'd love to hear from you. I know you've got a pretty hefty, hefty case today. Well, uh, today we have a conspiracy, um, and it is very timely for the start of football season. Mm-hmm. So, 
and it has to do with um, the conspiracy that the NFL covered up the dangers of concussions and repetitive traumatic brain injuries. Love it. I, so, Will Smith is is listening to us, I think, because he was uh, in that movie. Please, please bless me, Mr. Smith. Um, <laughs> but uh, I kind of have a dramatic intro to this and uh this is a very dramatic topic and um i uh i i really really think that the nfl has been downplaying this for for years but Mm -hmm. let's get into it Mm -hmm. all right so on april 20 in april 2012 ray easterling who was a uh former nfl football player was found dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound in his home. Hmm. An autopsy report concluded that Easterling's brain had evidence of CTE, a degenerative brain disease associated with frequent blows to the head. Hmm. One month later, another former NFL player, a former San Diego Chargers player, Junior Seau, Mm -hmm. who's more, I definitely had heard of Junior, also died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound Mm. and a brain autopsy showed that he suffered from CTE like Easterling and Seau. What did those two things have in common? Football football. And then what did the autopsy reports have in common? CTE CTE. And also that their brains had not been destroyed in how they had taken their lives. Which is which is definitely wait. crazy. So wait, say that again. Like, wait. Like okay, so you know when people commit suicide, they try to do it in a painless way, correct? Yes, sometimes. Most of the time, mm-hmm. um, a lot of time. But these two players had taken their lives and made sure that they didn't hurt their brains so that they could be autopsy. What? Yeah, and this becomes yeah. a trend. Um, so. There was evidence of CTE, which is a degenerative brain disease associated with frequent blows to the head in both of these former players. There was a litany of more former players that I will discuss in the future, but they all had repetitive traumatic brain injuries. So you're telling me they strategically avoided like damage to certain parts of their brain so that the brain could be autopsied? Most of um, the former players, or at least Ray Easterling and Junior. Yes, so it's not all of them because all of them were were suffering from varying degrees of this. But um, what we're trying to understand here today is the conspiracy behind it. Is did the NFL, so that the National Football League, know the evidence of the long term effects of repeated traumatic brain injuries, but? They concealed the evidence in order to keep the football players playing football. Yeah. So that's a little complicated. You bet your because ass they did. It's kind of like a new it's kind of like a new it's kind of like a new topic. Um but you know, everyone knows tackle football is like it's a lot of like head injuries, you know. I I've yeah. I know people that have had concussions playing high school football. And when you mm-hmm. play it at the higher higher levels, there's always seems like there's someone getting taken out with a concussion, like helmet to helmet contact. Um, there's lots of rules in place for that, but that's today. In the past, did the NFL know 
the long-term effects of this on former players or that, you know, concussions can lead to the evidence of CTE, but they chose not to let the players know about it in order to keep them playing for longer. Right. So it's just another way of saying it. CTE stands for? I will in a moment. Okay. So we're going to get into another instance. So this is one of the more, this is like the first, um, player in the nfl to be autopsied mm. his name his nickname was iron mike okay and that's what they called mike webster who was a center for the pittsburgh steelers i've definitely heard that name okay so he was the first one to be autopsied he committed suicide by shoot him, shooting himself in the chest wow. which is painful and slow and you have to bleed oh, out yeah interesting compared to you know shooting yourself in the head it's definitely yeah. a more painful way to go um, it's so interesting that when you say self-inflicted gunshot wound i automatically think gunshot wound to the head but that's not right true no wow. no it, it you know you could shoot yourself in a major artery and bleed out yeah. like there's so many yeah. so many like locations you could get shot and die mm. but the quickest one and the, the more painless one would be shooting yourself in the head mm. mm-hmm. there's I a reason that. for this yeah. And like I said, he's the first one to do this. Yeah. He had left a suicide note that said he, he had killed himself in a way so that his brain could be preserved and analyzed. Yeah. And wow. that, yes. Isn't well, that crazy? He was like, he was like, send my brain to the NFL's concussion and uh, health, like player health research facility, because there's something wrong with me and I'm not myself. Ugh. God, that gives me chills everywhere, Trevor. Isn't that crazy? Like in his last know, moments of clarity. Truck? Am I I'm not sure. Correctly? I'm not sure. But he is definitely the first one. Um, and he's the more high profile. And this is kind of like what kicked off the whole investigation of like, are concussions bad? Yes. But then what are the long-term effects of them? And yeah. it seems like there was research done, but then the NFL kind of like squashed that and then also paid um people off which we'll get into in, in a moment okay. that whole like uh the whole guiltiness of the nfl yeah but, I, before you even say anything like i i saw that movie concussion and i was like my children will never play football absolutely not yeah so that's actually um contributed to a decrease in um Pop Warner football, youth football, um, just participation across the board is that it's 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 dangerous. Yeah, yeah, and it's um, contributed to like a, a significant decrease in youth players, especially a and, developing brain. Oh my yeah, God. I know, and, and and honestly, the thing to me is like um, football is such a big thing to a lot of people. Yeah, why hasn't there been enough research out there in like helmets or pads or yeah a safer way to play the game that has the same um that has the same allure or the same uh competitiveness or i don't know it can be fun to play football so how much i mean there's so many complex issues wrapped up in there like hypermasculinity and homophobia homophobia and racism yeah. and all of these like crazy gender things and like there's a lot of stuff wrapped in to that issue um because right. i'm just like imagining a hypothetical hypothetically the nfl changes from tackle football to flag football imagine how that would go over in america oh not well not well 
No, right? there would so be a, like, def- a definite like schism, and then there would just be a new football league. Right. Exactly. Like if the NFL tanked, then there would still be someone out there trying to resurrect football because it's such a, it's, it's, I don't know if it's the, the biggest sport in America, but I would definitely put it up there. I would say it is. Yeah. Like you can't yeah, really only, say well, that the NBA is second or, only to curling. Yeah. Only to curling <laughs> or, Wait, or uh, field hockey. Just out of curiosity, how much revenue does the NFL generate annually? Um, let's do a little side goog. Because I think that's our answer right there. Why don't they this? Why don't they that? Yeah. Uh, so it's also so the league itself makes money, but then also all the teams make money. Yes. So right. how, how much did the NFL make in 2021? Um, we're looking at $11 billion. Yep. <laughs> billion with a B. Yep. Um, which honestly, it's probably more than that. Yeah. Because that's um, the revenue uh, equating to like owning an NFL team and yeah. different NFL teams, they merchandise better. Right. Um, and all like that the stuff. owners, that's where the real money is, isn't it? Only uh, yes, yes. And you know, y- your players have like million dollar contracts and stuff. So I would imagine that the National Football League, that is right. just the revenue for the NFL, like the league. Yeah. And I could be wrong in that, but you know, I haven't done my research. But my guess would be that that's what the NFL brings in. But then the teams individually ring in however much that they can and ring the, in from and the franchise. players too, right? Right. And so Patrick Mahomes was the highest paid NFL player in 2021, making 45 million dollars that year. Right. And if somebody told me that I could fuck up my brain for 45 million dollars a year, I probably would do it too. <laughs> fuck, gonna be real. I mean, that's right. Yeah. No, I mean, it's what keeps players playing the longest. So uh, I think money is our motivator here. That's what's happening. Oh, I, yeah. You know? Well, if you could keep players playing football, like how 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 much better it is to once players have made a name for themselves, you want them to keep playing. Right. Case in point, Tom Brady. Yes. I'm sure Tom Brady sells a lot of tickets. Yep. I'm sure Tom Brady sells a lot of, lot of jerseys, a lot yep. of all sorts of things like he's got a following so once these players demonstrate that they're good then whoever whoever's team they're on they're gonna want to keep them playing the longest and it's definitely better for the nfl to generate clicks to generate interest is to have these players playing longer yeah yeah god it's just like it's like one of the most gigantic corporations i guess It, it the nfl is a corporation isn't it um it's a it's it's a company i I don't know if it's it's just this behemoth like just the concept the idea of american football and like how yeah i I mean god there's so many moving parts it's like it touches every aspect of you want to know what's even scarier so yeah maybe i should stop talking through your whole segment i'm sorry you know what's even scarier is so who who owns the nfl who Technically, it's like they're saying Roger Goodell, but I wonder if like, I wonder if it it's owned like by just a, like a giant media company or something. Right? I'm not really finding anything because it's probably, I don't know. Like I would imagine them. What if it's owned like by uh, what are those giant like Disney or like you know the the, the right, like five exactly. big media companies or whatever? Yeah, or um, like uh, Warner Brothers. 
Let me see. So the NFL commissioner is a man named Roger Goodell. Goodell? And yeah, he Goodell. $63.9 million per year. Yeah, no, no, definitely. It's, uh, I, yeah, it seems like maybe no one owns it, um, but yeah. everyone owns specific teams, but I don't know. It's just, it's, it's funny. It's insane. Oh, this is, this is also kind of funny. So, um, if you think about it, like some of the owners because of inflation and when they bought the teams, so like the Detroit Lions, mm. um, the Hamp family bought that for $4.5 million. Mm. But if you, in contrast, you look at like the Denver Broncos, um, the owner of the Walton family or Rob Walton um, purchased it for $4.6 billion. Holy shit. While the Hamp family paid $4.5 million. Wow. That's like orders of magnitude higher. Yeah. Which is insane. Fuck. And that's probably not the most expensive one. No. But, uh. Because the yeah. Lions sucked for a long time, didn't they? Yeah. It was like pretty, their thing. <laughs> I don't know anything. I should not talk about that. I oh, get to the medical stuff because I know a lot more about that. Apparently some of the older teams, like in 1920, um, the McCaskey family uh, registered or bought the team for $100. Ah! Talk about an investment. Oh my god! Isn't that funny? That's hilarious. A hundred dollars. Wow. And like the New York Giants, uh, John Mara and T and Steve Tisch are fifty are fifty fifty owners, but it was started in nineteen twenty five for five hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Meanwhile, the Denver Denver Broncos are just. Four point six million dollars, and they were acquired in twenty twenty two. So that's that's what a you know an NFL team is going for nowadays. Wow, four point six billion dollars, and some people, you know, some families they've just passed it down. That's in nineteen twenty five. But you know, it's it's grown in like uh, publicity and stuff. Yeah, totally. Right. Enough like monetary stuff, but yeah, yet, I mean, it shows you there's like a lot of money involved. Yeah, a ton of money. Yeah. Um, and if you're going to want to take down the NFL, you're going to want to try to strip these people of like billions and billions of dollars. And that's yeah, yearly revenue be, is 11 stopped. billion, right? Not yeah. to mention all the assets that they have. That's just re- revenue. Mm-hmm. So back to um, Iron Mike. Yeah. So he basically kind of kicked off the whole um, discussion about uh, CTE and like the long-term effects, long-term effects of playing football um, more importantly, getting you know hit multiple times. So he was a center. Center is who hikes the ball mm. to the quarterback, and they're on like the line. So a lot of your linemen are constantly um, getting hit, constantly uh, hitting each other. But then that can be said for a lot of positions. I mean, to to score or to stop a play, you have to tackle someone. Mm. So you know whoever has the ball is going to get tackled. Um, probably the safest nowadays would be quarterbacks but even then you know one wrong hit and you have a concussion and you know five concussions and i mean that's that's a uh that's a concern for cte and once you get a concussion it's very easy to get another one because your brain is swollen right exactly exactly so we're going to get into a little bit of the science and i'm going to let you know what cte is Mm -hmm. um cte is a relatively new term Mm -hmm. Uh, it stands for Chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Okay. So key thing here is chronic traumatic. So like just 
repetitive injuries yeah. uh encephalopathy is like to do with like death of tissue like mm-hmm. like uh it's death of brain tissue mm-hmm. and it's a neurodegenerative disease linked to repeated trauma to the head is what mm-hmm. it stands for yeah neurodegenerative um, think of things like um dementia alzheimer's right and and the definition of neurodegenerative oh sorry yes it's okay but those are examples of it um and it's basically neurodegenerative disease is caused by the progressive loss of structure or function of neurons in the process known as neurodegeneration so as you know you lose the structure or the function of neurons that's kind of what this uh cte is linked to um, so the more trauma you get in your, in your head, the more your, your brain gets, uh, knocked around and, and takes that trauma. It starts to destroy some of the neurons and the structure of your the brain gray matter. Right. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I have a photo on the drive of what a normal brain looks like and oh, a brain on CT. I love a side by side Trev. And it's, and it's dissected. So Ooh, give it to me. Let me see. Hold You're going to love it. It's kind of insane yeah this is your brain on drugs wait let's see this is your brain on football holy fuck oh my god i'm posting this on the instagram for sure you should you should but let's let's go ahead and talk through it so what are you seeing oh god it makes me a little queasy like because right. you, you would never know that this is someone's brain right it's the haunting words of iron mike that says i am not myself yeah something's wrong no, no fucking shit oh there's definitely God. something wrong okay so cool friends a normal brain for those of you who don't have instagram like trevor a normal yeah. brain you can also look this up probably but a normal brain is kind of grayish greenish pink kind of and it's healthy spongy tissue right kind of rubbery. right and the gray put it matter, in the description yeah the gray the matter is the is the surface the outside surface of the brain and what we're looking at here is a bisected brain that's cut in half. And you can see that the normal brain is exactly how I'm describing. And then the advanced CTE, the brain has not only shrunken, but it looks like it's like put through a, um, what's that called? A um, Like a dehumidifier. Yeah. It, it looks like someone like sucked all the moisture out of this brain. It's like kind of shriveled and it's right. colored. It looks like it's like yellows and brown and there are parts of it that are black around the brain stem yep it, like, it's like a healthy brain is pink and and yeah. it's like it's plump. it's very th- plump and, and thick it's actually very similar yeah. yeah yeah so yeah there you go then that is kind of like what causes the long-term effects um so yeah. this re- repetitive traumatic brain injuries um the long-term effects of those are early onset Alzheimer's disease, yeah. like you said, um, dementia, depression, uh, deficits in cognitive functioning, mm-hmm. reduced processing speed, attention and reasoning, yeah. loss of memory, sleeplessness, mood swings, personality changes, and debilitating and latent disease called known as CTE. Wow. So a lot of these traumatic brain injuries, they have all those other things, i.e. dementia, i.e. loss of memory, sleeplessness, mood swings, personality changes, but also this new disease that, um, that was identified 
in Iron Mike called CTE, mm. mm-hmm. which causes all that neurodegenerative uh, disease. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And uh, this was fi- found out through um, the work of, I think, maybe only one neuropathologist in the beginning. Um, but it was it was someone who wasn't going to stand for being covered up or anything like that. This is someone who, Dr. Um, Amalu, is, right? Dr. Amalu, yeah. yeah! Neuropathologist okay. Bennett Amalu. Yeah. So he he said, you know what? We're gonna get down to the bottom of, of this for science. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> and so he um, has identified CTE in the autopsies of former players Mike Webster, Terry Long. Justin uh, Strzelczyk, Strzelczyk, Andre Walters, and Chris Henry. Wow. So that's five, six? There was more than that, um, but those are just a couple. Right. Here, I I sent you the the name. Let's see if you can give uh, Justin's name some... some, uh, I'm going to say... Strzelczyk? Yeah, I'm going to say, yeah, Sturzelcheck, Sturzelcheck, <laughs> let's look it up. There's two Z's in this name and a Y. One of the difficult issues facing doctors is attempting to identify mental health eff- effects uh, from concussions during the lives of former players rather than after their deaths. Mm. So this is some of the, the difficult issues facing Dr. Amalu. Although Mike Webster was the first patient to be diagnosed with CTE posthumously, 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 yes, being the first diagnosed case and one of the higher profile cases, illuminating the issue of head trauma injuries to the NFL. Mm. His family has not received financial compensation from the NFL yet. And how long so, ago was it? Uh. I think that was so. Webster died before 2006, so I think he might have d- died in the 90s. Speckable. Yeah, and we're gonna get into like um, some of the settlements and mm-hmm. things that the NFL um, was supposedly doing to kind of you know correct some some of their behavior. Um, but through uh, Amalu's work, like he basically said that he was identifying CTE and all these autopsies. But um, as we're going to get into the, the NFL kind of just brushed it off a little yeah. bit. So getting into the litigation and um, some of the things that the NFL brushed off uh, due to Mike Webster's autopsy that led the NFL to start the mild traumatic brain injury committee the mtbi committee which isn't that funny how they named it mild traumatic yeah. brain injury committee like they're, they're already dismissing yeah. like oh it's obviously mild so we're going to name the the tra- the committee mild traumatic brain yeah. injury committee not that's just traumatic fun. brain injury that's so fun. it is messed up that's minimizing so, language yep mm-hmm. i know right isn't it uh okay so honestly first strike yeah. first strike First Rock NFL. It was first formed in 1994 and reported in December 1999 that the number of head injuries had remained, in quotes, remarkably the same over the course of the past four years. Oh, for fuck's sake. What does that mean? That means like they were. Of... Fox. 
Yeah, I know. <laughs> the number of head injuries remained the same. That's not a good statistic if, uh, you know, no. there was 80% of all football players received head injuries. Yeah. And Hello? it remained constant. I mean, shit. Jeez. So, Jeez, Louise. So there's, you know, on strike two. Yeah. Uh, the MTBI published an article in neurosurgery. So in a, in a medical journal or a, a medical mag- magazine that NFL players have evolved to a state where their brains are less susceptible to injury. Are you fucking kidding me? Due to playing football. They evolved. I don't think they know how evolution works. So let's create the narrative that the NFL is creating a series of superhumans. Excuse me? Right, right. So no, if you hit your head against a wall enough, you'll no. eventually evolve a thicker no. skull. No, no, no. Because what that's fucking not, happens in the process? That's not how evolution works. Oh, my. So, yeah, uh, we're talking over millions of years. <laughs> right. And actually, Strike if anything, you're, you're hurting evolution because fucking... Humans are evolving over millions of years to have, like, (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting worked up. Oh, absolutely. So, so, uh, welcome to the NFL doesn't know how science works. Oh. Um, And that's strike three, but we're not playing baseball, so it's going to get worse. Oh, God. Love Uh, that line. Did you write that? Two months after the... Huh? Did you write that? That's awesome. No, I come up with that on the spot. You know me. (laughs) Oh, so good. I like it. It's going to get way worser. Okay. Way worser. Way worser. Oh, no. Not worser. So two months after they published that article, you know, the one where they say, you know, NFL players have evolved right. to a new plane of existence. Right. Um, two months after that, the MTBI committee published another article that concludes, you ready for another bombshell? Yeah. Quotes. Players who are concussed and return to the same game have fewer initial signs and symptoms than those removed from play. Return from play does not involve a significant risk of second injury either in the same game or during the season. So if you have one concussion, you're good for the rest of the season. It's not going to hurt you anymore to play more. In fact, you might as well just get it out of the way in the first game and then you're good for the rest of the season. Like, I am like insurance. Speechless. They're just I I don't understand this committee. Um, yeah, what the like, fuck is it? So it's like a cover your ass committee. That's what it is. I guess so. I think it's just honestly like kind of like a public relations thing to say yeah. like, oh, we're handling it. We made a committee, but then it the committee like, just spews lies. It sounds like the committee's being paid to make make this problem go away. Right. It's like, and I don't know if this is something that we did in the nineties or whatever, that we, you slap yeah. uh, a, a interesting sounding name on something. Well, well <laughs> the mild traumatic brain injury <laughs> committee said yeah. that, uh, you know, NFL players evolve during the course of their career. This is so ridiculous. I'm pissed. I'm Isn't pissed. that saying that's just, that's absolutely just crazy what to the think. Fuck? Right. Just spewing misinformation. <sighs> so, I mean, I'm not inner. surprised. I'm being honest. I'm not surprised, but I'm so, I'm so mad. Yeah, it, I, it's, it's giving me like corporate greed. It's giving me, um, you know, keep beating a dead horse until it stops spitting out money, kind of vibes. <laughs> what an expression. Yeah, I got that from Bo Burnham. Shout out to Bo Burnham. Um, thanks, Bo. <laughs> I'm sure you're watching. You're on a anyway. first name basis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. 
So enter Dr. Bennett Omalu. Love him. Basically outlined his findings in a scientific paper published in neurosurgery in July 2005. So he put all of his, his research and all of his findings of the former players of the NFL, their autopsies yeah. um, in neurosurgery. Yeah. The NFL's MTBI committee later wrote in May 2006 that the article be di- retracted. So they contact the journal and they were like, you have to take this, take this out oh, because no. it, it does, it, it holds no weight. Like Omalu is yeah. a fake. Nothing of what he says is true. CTE is not even a real disease. It's just something that he's come up with. Holy shit. Which that's how you find new diseases. But anyway, right. um, <laughs> that's uh, true. so Dr. Ira Casson, who was the co-chair of MTBI, MTBI, who is also, um, I think, an, a neuropathologist, maybe, or she's just a doctor of some some sort. I don't know what her um, credentials are. Yeah. But she, other than that she was the co-chair of the MTBI, so I'm sure her credentials are not good, or at least she just has the ability to be bribed. I don't know. Yeah. She denied in a televised interview that there w- was any link between head injuries sustained in the NFL and long-term brain, brain damage. So you have a doctor in a televised interview, interview say that there was no link. Right. So head injuries have nothing to do, like, sustained playing the NFL. So any tackles, any head injuries yeah. during football had nothing to do with long-term brain damage. So, so can't, sad, it, they're just man. not even linked. That's so sad. So another funny thing is the NFL rescinded a gift to the National Institute of Health for concussion research when they learned the study's findings would be detrimental to the league's <laughs> image. Oh my god! So they were like, "Yeah, you know what? We're gonna um, we're gonna keep uh, you know, funding research into concussions, keeping up that PR." But yeah. then someone was like, "Wait, they're probably gonna find out." and do actual research other than just us spewing lies. Yeah. And so then they were like, mm, let's bring that money back. And uh, then they uh, funneled the funds that they would have given to the NIH, uh, the National Institute of Health, towards its own studies. Yeah. And the league rejected the accusations that, you know, it was detrimental. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, they just continued to, to dick around and horse shit all over it. So there was a couple settlements that came through. Uh, one of them was uh, Mike Webster's um, thing. So they came up with a settlement that uh, people who died after January 1st, 2006 um, would receive compensation and um, compensation payments uh, from any any families of the players, former players that had died from head-related trauma and injuries from 2006 and on. The NFL paid people? Yes. Oh. Yeah. Well, the NFL had so former players have insurance. Yeah. And so then like they were basically saying that the insurance that um the players have afterwards as they go on, those insurances are required to pay for their injuries going forward. Like it qualifies a, oh. under a work related work related injury po- that makes like sense. after the fact. But that it, was only it's for people really- it's really reminding me of the National Veterans Association and how it's it kind of doesn't give a shit about you after you're done after you've served your time. Yeah, isn't that insane? It's it, it's yeah. very yeah, it's it's honestly very reminiscent of that because yeah. of 
the lasting effects that we don't necessarily yeah. care about or look at. Yep. It's like if you're injured in in the line of duty physically, mm. then yes, of course you get compensated. But then if you know afterwards you have long lasting effects, they right. just don't. That doesn't count. Yeah, that protection ends when you when you're no longer benefiting them. Right, and you know what else doesn't count? If you were uh, if you had died before January first, two thousand six, like Webster. So his family mm. is um, still trying to receive um, yeah. compensation from the NFL. Oh, um, God. And imagine them seeing like the just blatant disregard right. for, oh, God, that is so, so sad. That might have concluded already. I'm not sure. Um, but I think his family is still actively fighting to like have that rule rescinded, like, just because you pick one date and time doesn't mean any of the right. former NFL players beforehand, um, right. you know, don't suffer from it. Yeah. Ugh. That's just so, my heart breaks for them. That's so sad. And for Mike, I mean, that's all of them. Your brain is rotting essentially. That's what, right. that's what, if you look at this picture, well, friends, that's what's happening. Your brain is rotting from the inside out. Right. Your neuro, your neurodegenerative like your neurons and, and yeah. the neurodegenerative um, aspects of the disease is basically like your, your tissues are dying. They're, yes. they're becoming inert. Like they're not, they're not yeah. being used anymore. So the pathways in your brain are just becoming less and less and less. Yeah. I mean, think about any other part of your body. If it's, if it's getting that level, that extent of trauma, right. The, or that repetitive, like a repetitive, blows to any other organ yeah right it's gonna you're gonna see long-term damage and why yeah. would the brain not be the same way right if someone just punches you in your arm for like 20 years your arm's gonna like have yeah. massive bruising and hemorrhaging like it's just it's gonna happen i think about the players from like the early 1900s who played with fucking leather helmets like can you imagine yeah, no, they definitely probably died young. It's insane. Not that these helmets are really going to make a difference. I fucking yeah. say a prayer, I guess, for the players who are going to be like 50 years from now, Patrick Mahomes, God help him. Yeah, on, I honestly. I don't pray. I don't know why I said that, but. <laughs> honestly, the, I feel like there's there's got to be a way that we could come up with the tech. Like, I'm sure there's technology and, and research that we could do to make things way safer. And um. But then, like, the based thing- on what we've found, we, you know, me and Dr. Amalu, um, based on what what they've found in terms of CTE and how many blows to the head it really takes, I mean, everyone who's playing football right now, it's too late for them. Yeah, and you know? there's, there's a lot of uh, things in place now in the league where they have um, preseason screenings. Um, and then if you're like, if you sustain a a large hit or a hit to the, to the helmet and, you know, anybody that lays out on the field, uh, like has a loss of time or anything like that, they have certain things into place as well as like nowadays they have, um, what I think third party, it's not, it's not neuroscience neuropathologists or neuroscientists, um, or neurologists, the doctors, it's not, um, anyone hired by the league. They're they're there for their own interest and to mm. um, for the player's safety, mm. and they get like screened convinced. after the fact. Um, so, but all that is the information provided by the NFL, which 
Yeah. It's already seeming like it's crazy. And too but, little too late, if you ask me. Yeah, and that's apparently here now in the modern times. But, I mean, like, recently, as early as, like, 2021, um, they've had some, some, high, or some news come on that doesn't necessarily make it sound better. But go ahead. Like, let's say, God forbid, Patrick Mahomes, I'm going to use him as an example, highest played, paid player in the NFL. God forbid he suffers some sort of head injury in the middle of a game. He's laid out on the field. He loses consciousness. You're the little neuroscientist employed by the NFL to run out onto the field, make sure he's okay, do a concussion check, blah, blah, blah. You're being paid to tell the NFL whether or not their greatest revenue stream is eligible to play. Right. I mean, fuck the Hippocratic Oath. What do you think most people are going to do? <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. They're supposed to be unbiased, but Fuck yeah, that. most people are going to be Fuck like, put that. him back in. And all yeah. of the fans staring at you? Not to mention, you? if are he's like, me? he's that's probably like looking nightmare. at you. That's yeah, he's probably looking at you like, hey, put me put me back in. I can I right. can count your fingers just this fine. Is, like, and this is his livelihood. This is how he survives. Right. God, that is just like, you're, and to put that all on one doctor... I mean, you're asking someone to compromise their morals. That's fucked. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm getting angry. Um, welcome to uh, more shit. So yeah. as recent as 2001. So the dementia test that the NFL had you mean approved. 2021? 2021. What did yeah, I say? 2001. It's okay. Oh, 2021. So pre- really recent. The uh, NFL approved dementia tests. Um, it came under scrutiny as black players were assumed to have lower baseline cognitive function than non-black players, making it more difficult to to prove dementia in their case. And that's like found out last year. Oh my God. So, you know, that makes me sick to my stomach, you know, in, in damage control. Now the NFL announced that it would end the practice and would form a panel of neuropsychologists to create new race neutral standards. I mean, the NFL, like... Why were they there in the first place? (laughs) Right. The NFL, the NBA, all of those organizations, uh, professional sports in general, there are, there's a whole, there's a plethora of racial issues there, right? Yeah. Well... The fact that black, primarily men, are performing to entertain predominantly white men, that's fucked, right? Or the it, fact it, that these players are being traded and like, but it's, it's sick. Well, it's definitely fucked whenever there's things like the dementia tests. Mm-hmm. So that, that is blatant disregard for, you know, facts and science and everything else like that. That just doesn't make sense. It's not, I'm just saying that's not the only morally, it's not the only instance of racism in the NFL or professional sports in general. Yeah. Yeah. And if you, if there's you seek that out. There. Right. If you seek that out, I guarantee you the NFL has a history of that stuff. Um, and, you know, there's probably definitely major, major things that have happened before yeah. this dementia test, because if there's one, there's definitely more. Yeah. And uh, just to seal it all all in, uh, I don't know how you feel about big tobacco, but uh, mm. uh, the NFL relied on the legal counsel who were actively involved in downplaying the health risks in the tobacco industry. <laughs> so they hired the same tobacco lawyers. Wow. And uh, we know what that means because yep. smoking's bad. Right. Wow. 
So if that gives you an idea of who you're dealing with, it's the same people who, you know, try to push smoking and lung cancer on everyone. But that was such a good one, Trevor. Yeah, that was that's all I got, though. Honestly, I'll reiterate the 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 at the beginning. Did the NFL know the evidence of long term effects of the Mm -hmm. repeated traumatic brain injuries? Mm-hmm. probably yeah uh, and did they conceal the evidence to keep the players playing football that's for y'all to decide <laughs> but <laughs> also i even if they don't know the exact effects like i feel like the question should be did they know there would be a long-term effect and you have to be a fucking moron to not know that right you right. get hit in the head once there's a long-term impact right, right. one concussion you you can suffer permanent damage to your brain Right. And, and Even it's, if you're and not it's fucking so weird. concussed, head injuries are not a joke. Right. But no, you, you don't, nothing done in football creates head injuries. Right. Right. That's true. They are immune at this point. I forgot. They, they have evolved. Yeah. Oh, God. Wow. That's, yeah. That's a can of worms if I ever saw one. Jeez. It's rough. It's rough. Well, wow. uh, happy kickoff season. Uh, <laughs> I'm excited Woo! for uh, the a couple games this season, so wow. it would be nice. Yeah, no kidding. I will say football is the most entertaining thing to watch. Yeah. But uh, see, I this, also I'll definitely be looking at it in a different light. I have a gigantic chip on my shoulder about the NFL anyway because it's just like a world that I don't understand, and I admittedly resent that. <laughs> well, that's okay. I mean, oh, I, I, I don't. There's part. I don't understand it either. Um, other than like whenever I played as a kid, it was kind of fun just to, like run at each other. Of all course, yeah. It's definitely you things that like as a as energy. a man, well, maybe not as a man, but just like as a young kid, I was like, yeah, let's do it. Right. And at that yeah. point, you're like invincible, or you feel invincible. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. There was a um a Law and Order SVU episode that I think it was. I, I mean, it's based on this whole story, uh, which they do that a lot. They bring in like modern issues or discussions in with fictional stories. And yeah. one of them was a former NFL player who had was caught in a hotel room with an underage girl and basically how they he was diagnosed with CTE and they used it as an insanity plea and does that count or does it not? You know, like, because he he had no idea who, when they showed up to the room, he had no idea who he was. He didn't know where he was. He didn't know who the girl was. Right. And when he was actually diagnosed with CTE, they were questioning, like, is that, what are the implications in a criminal trial? It's really interesting. There's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. And and there's a lot about CTE that we still don't know a lot about because, you know, you're only learning about it. Yeah. After people have died to have it because right. there, and that's one of the things I was researching about it is there's no way to tell how you far gone someone's yeah. CTE is while they're living. It's wow. only through like a brain dissection yeah, or an autopsy. Hmm. Well, hopefully they can develop technology to test for that. I mean, yeah. they can test cognitive functioning, but then it's like, to a certain point, it's like, does it is it too late to then stop the degeneration, right? Right, right. Because and, uh, you can test for you could test you or I for Alzheimer's, but that's no telling that we're not. It's not going to impact us when we're in our seventies. 
right? Right, right. And the his the history or the nature of those neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's and stuff, they're hard to research. Right. But it's I, I think it's going to have to have to happen in order to make um um improvements in uh the safety aspects of football right. in order to keep football keep like keep it going. Yeah. It's like either going to be gross ignorance or negligence yeah. and just letting people hurt themselves or yeah it'll have to be a new era of like research and yeah. innovation to keep it going. Totally. Wow. Wow. Good job, Trevor. Yay. Yeah. That was a great one. It was so interesting. I liked it. God, I want it. It makes me want to watch that movie again. Totally. Yeah. I need, I need to watch that. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen it. Cool. Friends. If you want to check that movie out, we're talking about the movie concussion. It has Will Smith in it who plays Dr. Amalu. And um, he does a hotly contested Nigerian accent in that, <laughs> in that yeah, movie. Maybe not pay attention <laughs> to the Nigerian accent. That. Yeah. Yeah. But um, it's, no, it's a very, very, it, I, he, uh, I think his performance is amazing. And even though he's a questionable person as of late, <laughs> I think yeah, that and it, well, the I mean, movie if itself you like- is great. Yeah, and it, and the movie's controversial too because yes. like whenever it came out, we're still we're still uh, mulling over this issue, and it's yeah. it's still something that plagues football players to this day. Right. So, right. um, I definitely it's one of the things that I would want to keep the pulse on totally going forward about all this stuff is like the research and everything to do with it. But yeah, wow. Yeah. Well, cool friends, follow us on Instagram at where murder meets mystery. Make sure you shoot us an email at where murder meets mystery at gmail.com. Yep. That's it. And I was going to, normally I let Trevor say it. I'm sorry. And I saw Trevor's face. He's so sad that I didn't let him say it. Trevor, where can they email us? Uh, where murder meets mystery <laughs> at gmail.com. <laughs> and so yeah, we said it twice. Send us something. <laughs> yeah. You better send us something. Yeah. And we will talk to you next week, cool friends. We love ya. Love you. Thank for thank you for sticking with us and we'll see you next week. Stank stank you for Stank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye.